0: Our scripture reading today comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind! I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then he applied myself to understanding of wisdom, and also the madness and folly. But I learned that this, too, is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. This is the word of the
1: Lord.. God. Before we uh, hop in to the text, uh, chop it up a little bit. Can you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth, and that that truth sanctifies us. It makes us holy. It sets us apart for your work. It makes us clean. It washes us. Would the truth of your word wash over us this morning, God? Uh, Would we have eyes to to see, ears to hear, and hearts that obey? God, may the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing, acceptable to you, O God, our rock our Redeemer, in Jesus' name, Amen. So, uh, if you were not here last week, we just began a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and, and if you see the, the subtitle, it, it, it sort of explains it all. This is the, the, the heartbeat of Ecclesiastes. When all you ever wanted isn't enough. Right, this is the heartbeat of Solomon's lament here. This is the heartbeat of these words of wisdom from, from the preacher. Remember last week we said that word preacher or teacher. That word, uh, it, it, it means philosophy professor. It means uh, Solomon is an old head who's seen the world. And he's sitting on, on, on his stoop, so to speak. And people are walking by and he's telling them what it's about what life is. This is Solomon's book of, I've seen a lot of things, I've done a lot of things, and here's what the world is. Solomon is not some, uh, remember we said, Solomon's not some mopey emo kid sitting in the corner of the party, pouting and reading some, some philosophy book or whatever, right? Solomon's not some mopey kid who's just complaining about everything. Solomon is a a wise old man who has tasted everything that his heart could want. And at the end of everything that he tastes, he says it's not enough. Vanity of vanities, grasping at the wind. And so the course of our study is going to look like that. The course of our study through this book is going to look like, what is Solomon talking about? What did Solomon pursue in this text in this portion that he's talking about so in this case wisdom, knowledge, learning, understanding what did Solomon pursue and where did it leave him And I think this, if you remember last week, and, and there's a lot of recap in this because we're just in the second week, but if you remember last week, what we said is Ecclesiastes is a book that comes at your worldview and pushes it to the, to the, the furthest limits, pushes it to its outcome. It doesn't let you just say, oh, pleasure uh, will make me happy. If I just have a lot of pleasure, it'll make me happy. Right? It doesn't let you sit in there. It says, oh yeah, really, what of that? It pushes you to the, the limits of your worldview, to the limits of your philosophy and says, when you come to the logical end of it, where does it leave you? Ecclesiastes is a book of questions, not a lot of answers. Fortunately, Ecclesiastes comes in the context of all of Scripture, and as Christians, we can read Ecclesiastes through the lens of the cross, and what we see is that the cross does clear up some of these questions and give us answers, and so that's what our journey is going to be through this text. When everything you ever wanted, when all you ever wanted isn't enough, what do you do? Where do you go? In, in, in the first part, uh, last week, again, just we saw that Solomon was saying, uh, vanity of vanities, all of life is vanities. It's grasping at the wind. A man comes and a man dies. What, does it, what is there to show of a man's life? And we said that Solomon is looking and he's, he's got his about Schmidt moment. He's got this moment where he says, one day I'm going to die. That may be in 20 years. That may be in a year. It doesn't really matter, but one day I'm going to die. And, and when the world looks back, what will my life have mattered? Solomon realizes that, that what Solomon is doing is, is he's looking at life and he realizes that life is a car. And he's in the, he thinks he's in the driver's seat, except there's really no wheel. Not only is there no wheel, he looks through the windshield and all he sees is death. All he sees is nothingness. All he sees is the end. And not only is there no wheel and all he sees is the end, the car is just moving steady forward and there's no brake pedal. It's just barreling away. Life is heading to this. All of our lives are heading to this. And he sees this and he's left with this this realization that man, we're born dying. We said last week you have to let that sit in. It's like, oh man, this is a fun text. This is a fun sermon, right? yay, we're going to die, right? No, but you have to realize that. You you understand that of all the creatures in the planet, humans are the only ones who are born with some sort of understanding of their impending death, of their impending non-existence. So you say, well, other animals try to avoid death. Yeah, they're trying to survive. But they don't grapple, they don't wrestle with this understanding that, man, what is it going to mean when I'm gone? Right. No animal stays up at night thinking like, oh, my gosh, how much more time do I have? And what will my life have meant? What will I do to make some sort of mark on this earth? Right. There's no like animal. There's no animal Kierkegaard. There's no animal Sartre. There's no animal uh, Nietzsche. Right. And likewise, there's no, no, no animal-like movies. I mean, we make pretty bad animal movies all the time. They're getting better, thanks to Pixar, <laughs> right? But, but animals don't write poetry. They don't create art. What, what's at the basis of all good art? It's this awareness that this thing is fleeting. And we need to grab hold of things. Love, beauty, mystery, wisdom hope, joy, pleasure, to all of them, it's at the heart of all of them, is that this existence is fleeting. And so Solomon is looking that in the eye, and as he looks through the windshield of his life, and he sees that death is in the distance, and he realizes that there's no brake pedal, he all of a sudden, this is what I like to say, and so somebody, if y'all don't know me, I'm, I'm a nerd to the full, and like, just, I was raised that way. Like, I can't help it. My mom did it to me. Like, growing up, one of the things my mom, like, we watched Star Trek. We just did all of them, right? Like, all of them. When the repeats of the O one one came on, we watched it. When The Next Generation came on, we watched it. When Deep Space Nine came on, some of y'all are like, Deep Space, how is this dude? We watched it. When the (laughs) movies came out, we watched it. Right? Star Wars, Doctor Who. Like, Doctor Who used to just be trash cans running around, like, beep-bop, beep-bop. We watched it. (laughs) And we watched the show called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Now, it's funny. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons, but I was allowed to watch The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And and you got to realize, I'm going to put this on the website, and I know my mom's going to hear it. So some of this is for her, too. But... (laughs) Wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons, but I was allowed to watch The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, and it's just this satire about how li- you're just flowing through the galaxy, just kind of aimlessly hitchhiking, as it were, and and it's hilarious, and, and there's this scene, and, and it's... it's, it's Almost, it, it'll sound ridiculous, it's supposed to be, it's absurd, but but where um, there are these two missiles coming at a ship, and the ship has what's called an infinite improbability drive. So if you're not following me, what it means is, whenever you activate the infinite improbability drive, whatever's the most ridiculous thing that could happen, does. So they hit this button, and these two missiles, you with me? Missiles coming at the ship, about to blow it up, hit the button. Craziest thing that could happen does happen. These two missiles, all of a sudden, one becomes a whale and one becomes a flower pot. And they start plummeting towards the ground of this planet. Right? And, and I love what, what the author, Douglas Adams, does. He says, all of a sudden, this whale starts thinking thoughts. Right? The whale starts thinking thoughts. He's looking around. He's saying, oh, gosh, I am. I'm something. This is amazing that I'm something. Who? what am I... I, oh, I'm, I'm in something. It's, it's very what, air, 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 air. I'm in the air. And, and, oh, what's that coming towards me? It's so big and, and round and gr- ground, ground. The ground is coming towards me. I wonder if it's nice. And then, boom, he hits the ground, right? Like, that's it. And then, and then it says of the teapot, or, of, yeah, of the flower pot, it says, uh, the flower pot thought, here we go again. Right? And Douglas Adams says, if, if, if we understood why the flower pot thought that, we'd all be a lot happier. But, but the point is more about the whale. Solomon becomes like the whale. He says, okay, I'm dying, so what do I make of this? What do I make of this life? How many of you have thought that? What do I make of this life? Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? What's the point of all of this? Y'all have been there. We're like the whale, like plummeting towards the ground, and all we're doing is scrambling for information to try and make sense of everything that's around us. And that's what Solomon is doing. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel, and listen to what he says. I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. Do you see what he's saying? I applied myself to figure out the what and the why of all of this. What is going on in this world and why? That's what Solomon says. He says, essentially, I applied myself, I gave my life to becoming a philosopher. That word philosophy that we say right, philosophy, Uh, a lot of times I think we don't understand, or maybe we just don't know the root of that term philosophy, but it's actually two Greek words that are smashed together, so the first one is phileo, like Philadelphia, right, what's Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, so some of you may know this, phileo is love, love, and then the other word is Sophia, which means wisdom. So when you smash it together, philosophy is the love of wisdom, the love of learning and knowledge. When you say I'm a philosopher, when we say Solomon became a philosopher, literally what we're saying is he became one who loved wisdom and sought it out. But it's more than that. and You have to understand when he says I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the heavens, what he said is I had this realization as I looked towards death. Maybe, maybe I will find myself if I give myself completely over to learning. This is what's happening in Solomon's heart. You're going to see this. Solomon's progression is this. He is trying to figure out who he is. Why is he here? Is he valuable? What is my identity? And through the course of this book, Solomon will give himself over to things that at one point or another, all of us give ourselves over to, or at least if, if wisdom and learning and, and education isn't your thing, your thing is going to be named. And so Solomon says, I devoted my life to the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. I devoted my life to philosophy in hopes that I might find myself. That is very key to understand. And look, this is true of all philosophy, of all education, of all learning. All great thinkers, all great learners, all, great, all, all the, the greats who, who wanted to explore and discover, they don't just explore and discover for exploration and discovery's sake. They don't just learn for learning's sake. They don't study philosophy for philosophy's sake. We are all trying to find ourselves. And so are they. The exploration of philosophy is ultimately the exploration of yourself. Who am I? How do I fit in this whole thing? That question that nags at you day after day. What am I doing? When somebody says, did you have a good day? Was it a productive day? When you're like, I, I, don't, I really don't know how to answer that. So you say, yeah, it was. I got all these things done. I'll just list the checklist. But But deep down inside, you're like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm... <laughs> I can't find peace. It's that. That's what's happening. And so Solomon, for a season of his life, believes that knowledge and wisdom will give him ultimate purpose. He says, I applied my heart to seek and to search everything that is done under heaven. I wanted to know how the earth goes and and why it goes. Do you see that? Do you see what Solomon's doing? So the question I want to ask you is, are we that different? Solomon believed that if he grew wiser, and if he had more learning and knowledge and understanding or education, that his life would be fundamentally better because he would understand himself more, and he would then be a better person. Tell me that's not a prevalent thought in our culture today. If you ask most people what folks who are lacking in something need, So if you say, well, what's the best thing you can give a a poor person? What's the best thing you can do for a bigoted person? What's the best thing you can do to deal with the crime in our cities? What's the best thing we can do to deal with the AIDS epidemic around the world and particularly in impoverished nations and continents like in Africa and in many African countries? What's the best thing you can do? What do we always say? What is the first thing that most people say? Education. We genuinely believe this. Now I need you to hear me. I love school, and I love books, and reading, and acquiring knowledge, sometimes to a fault. I, I, I value precision to a fault. It, it leads to a lot of fights in our house, right? <laughs> She's get, that's as close to an amen as I'm going to get from my wife. No, it's, But... <clears throat> Education, however, is not the ultimate solution to our problems. And I want to try and prove it to you from history. Because this is what we say. As a society, man, we got a lot of hate. We got a lot of bigotry in our society. And it's because people are ignorant. So if they just learn more about other people, if they learn more about, say, biology, they will realize how ridiculous it is to be racist because the the color of your skin biologically is such an infinitesimally small thing and the ways that we're alike are so much infinitely greater than the ways that we're different when you talk about skin color that it's stupid to be racist. That is a fact. It is stupid to be racist. It's not just it's not just sinful, it's stu- it's foolish. We are literally the same, minus like minutia. So, what we need to do is educate people. If we were a more educated society, we would be a better society, except for this this just historic fact. That if you ask anybody when it comes to philosophy, theology, and education, what the most advanced and most brilliant society in Western civilization was, they have no choice but to tell you it was 1920s to 1930s germany and so birthed out of the height of western intellectualism and western education was the nazi movement like one of the greatest atrocities of all times didn't come out of didn't come out of this uneducated culture that didn't value knowledge or learning or philosophy but actually one that valued it supremely, right? Like I couldn't read a single history of theology book that, that, that spans after say 1700 and not be in Germany. If you want to get a PhD in most things, you have to learn German. You think that knowledge is the antidote to these things, it's not. History tells us that. There are a lot of educated bigots out there. Right? There are people who would, no lie, there are people who would rather believe, and these are educated people with letters behind their names. These are philosophical thinkers. They would rather believe that aliens, no lie, that aliens actually were responsible for the pyramids and for the Egyptian uh, understanding of, of the universe than to believe that an African people actually had a far greater understanding of the universe and how it works than still we even do now. There are things that as we learn it, we look back and we're like, Dad, they were right. Right? And there's some people who are so caught up in that racism... That even though they're educated folks, they won't allow themselves. And so Solomon's saying, if I apply education and wisdom and learning to my heart, then all of a sudden I'll have a better sense of who I am. I'll have a happier life. But here's the thing is, that's just not true. And <clears throat> and Solomon tells us that. Solomon says that in all of my searching, listen to what he says, I, It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. This is what he's learning. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, striving after the wind. I sought and applied my heart to wisdom. And you know what wisdom told me? That all of this is vanity. (laughs) What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is crooked cannot be made straight. Union Church, we want to be a part of a movement in D.C. where the gospel advances and where our city is changed. There are deep, deep structural systemic issues in our city and we want to be a part of changing it. There's great need and poverty in our city. We want to be a part of changing it. There's great division in our city between people and we want to be a part of that movement of the gospel transforming people so that they no longer see themselves as us versus them, but as One. That is central to what we're doing. That is at the heart of what we're doing. We genuinely believe this, right? If you've, if you've been walking with, with us through the, through, since the beginning, you know that we genuinely believe that as the gospel transforms hearts, as the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms hearts, it makes us change people. We are renewed workers. We are renewed neighbors. We are renewed family members. We are renewed citizens. And as we live renewed life, our cities are renewed. It's one of our core practices. Christ-centered renewal. We want to see renewal in our cities. But if you think that, if you think that the answer is, so let's just hold forums and educate people, we're going to fail. Because what is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. And listen to what he says, I said in my heart, I acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were ever over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has experienced great, uh, has had a great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this is also but a striving after the wind. And this next thing. <laughs> so, uh. In college, I studied philosophy a lot. And then with my, my master's, uh, my emphasis was in uh, Christian thought and philosophy. Um, and the next thing that he says, just, just um, historically, is just true. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The people that we would count as the greatest philosophers, as the greatest thinkers of our day, hundred percent were some of the saddest most depressed people that walk the planet all right I said last week Kierkegaard was insane um, he wasn't insane he had this crazy view of the world as it was and that will crush you it will crush you let me let me Sol- Solomon in all his searching found out four depressing truths I'm going to just four depressing truths. The first is that we are infinitesimally small. He said, it's an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything under the sun and it's striving after the wind. We are infinitesimally small. David Solomon's father understood that, right? He says it. When I think about the heavens and the universe, the handiwork, when I look at the stars, when I look at the expanse of the heavens, what is man that you even think of him, God? What's he saying? He's saying we're small. We're small. I'm not going to make you choose, but whether you believe the world is Ten to 12,000 years old, or whether you believe it's 10 to 12 billion years old, your 85 to 100 year blip is just that, it's a blip, and when you look at the universe and when you realize that we're seeing things millions of light years away, you, you realize really quick you're small. I love cities because you get to feel small sometimes. You walk through, and you realize, man, there's, a, there's, there's 700,000 people, or yeah, something like that, in our city. And like 50 of them know who I am. I'm small. Right? My family, we go to the mountains every summer. I love looking out at the mountains. Why? Because I just see this, like you know that feeling of awe that you get when you look out over something or you look at like the Grand Canyon or you look up at, a, at like a skyscraper, that feeling of awe, do you know what that really is? It's a sense in that moment of the reality that you are small. Solomon in all his wisdom realizes we are infinitesimally small. He also realizes we are hopelessly weak. We can't make crooked things straight. We can't fill what's lacking. He's not talking just about like a path, like we can straighten a road. He's talking about our hearts. We don't even have the power to change ourselves. And we, we talk about changing the world. We're weak. The thing that you don't want to do, you keep continually doing you fall back into it you're weak look there's a lot of things that this applies to but it's like it's it's the it's the New Year's resolution thing man this year I'm gonna lose weight sight it's not happening a <laughs> week man I see Astro Donuts I'm weak I've drive by good stuff all of a sudden I am weak I see the sin in my heart. I see the brokenness in my heart. I see my pride. I see my short temper with my children. I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything I can to fix it. And then something happens and all of a sudden, here comes just rage monster, like mild manner Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk like that. And we say over and over again, man, we apply the law to our hearts. Man, if I just do this, if I just set up these structures, if I just do these things, that'll change me. And then it doesn't. Why? We're weak. Hopelessly weak. If you cannot acknowledge that, you will never, A, know yourself, and you will never be no freedom. He also realized we are insatiably desperate. He didn't just want a little bit of wisdom, he wanted it all. We all want it. We have we have a void of being. We have a void in us. Like we we have desire that we cannot one thing comes and it never satisfies. We're going to talk about this next week when we talk about pleasure, right? But it's like a uh, the weekend, right, that song that, uh, I'm not endorsing the song, I know like it's church, I'm not trying to endorse, but you know the song The Hills, some of you, and there's a, a line in it where he says the drugs start feeling like decaf. That's life. <laughs> Every pleasure, why do we want more? Because it wears off. Why do we put people become drug addicts? Because eventually one hit isn't enough. Because we're trying to fill this desire that's insatiable. So the more we get of something, we get used to it. And it doesn't fill our needs because it was never created to. Wisdom and learning is like that. You can learn till you're blue in the face. You can learn until you're the wisest person you've ever met. And it's not enough. And let me tell you, wisdom is a good thing. But when you do that, you're making it an identity thing. You're making it a God thing. That's a bad thing. So he learned we're insatiably desperate. He said, and this this is it. And all the wisdom in the world can't change your heart. This is where Solomon leaves us. We are infinitesimally small. We are hopelessly weak. We are insatiably desperate. And all the wisdom in the world can't change our hearts. So where do we go? Well, I think one place that we need to go is to actually Solomon's searching for wisdom. Like if you read the Proverbs, and I think you should, there are 31 Proverbs, which means that on most months you could read a Proverb a day and read through the Proverbs regularly throughout the year. Right? If if you feel like that's corny or too disciplined, you should still do it anyway. There's so much goodness in in the Proverbs. And as we come to the Proverbs, what we see multiple times, but most explicitly in Proverbs 9, 10, is that the the beginning of uh, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Solomon, in all his searching, in all his seeking out wisdom, he comes to this reality that all I've been seeking out is what is behind it all. All that I've been trying to learn is what is behind it all. And all I'm left with is God. And here's the thing is when you seek out God and when you seek out <laughs> learning the Lord, you find that He is he's big. He's bigger than you imagine. He's, he's so far beyond us. It's no wonder when you look at the Lord that you f- leave feeling small. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But it tells us something else. This is what I want want to get to. See, when, when, when Solomon starts out his search for wisdom, what he's doing is he's trying to find himself through wisdom. So he's seeking out himself. But the answer is not to seek out the knowledge of yourself. It's not to find yourself. It's to find the one who made you. It's to find the one who made you and who knows you. Knowledge of yourself will never satisfy. Knowledge of the world will never satisfy. It's not enough. And so that leaves you one option, knowledge of the Lord. If you're a Christian in here, this is your job. This is your duty. You've been created to know God and to be known by Him. You've been created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, which means you have to know Him. And all of a sudden, we are looking for God. And what I love is that that God is not far away. God, it says, uh, Peter said in in Acts, in a chapter in Acts, Peter said in the sermon, he says that, that God has intentionally put you where you are when you are so that you might seek after him and in searching for him find that he is not far at all. See, wisdom doesn't satisfy particularly when it's not pointed towards God. You are seeking after God. Listen, listen to me. As you find God, this is what you find. That he is over all things. He is through all things. He is in all things. That he loves you. To the point that even though he is infinitely big he made himself small in the form of a person, Jesus Christ. Look, I'm telling you, search for God. And what the Scripture says is if you want to search for God, you have to look to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. That's what Paul tells the church in Colossae. He's the full radiance of its glory. That's what the author of Hebrews tells tells the, the persecuted Christians in Rome. Look at Jesus. He is the imprint of the nature of God. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know what life is like, if you want to know what this is all about, look to Jesus. And you'll see him on the cross And all of a sudden these truths that are depressing they are made not so depressing anymore. Do you remember those four depressing truths that I mentioned a few moments ago? right? Number one, we are infinitesimally small, but God is infinitely big. And he has shown through the life of Jesus through his death and resurrection that that which is infinitely big is Intimately concerned with you who are infinitesimally small. God loves you. You can be small. It's good to be small because you're small in the palm of a father, of a God who loves you. As you look to Jesus, you see that, yes, you are hopelessly weak, but God is made strong in weakness. He's made strong in the weakness of the cross. Your weakness is good because it pushes you out of yourselves, right? Whenever you think you can do it, what do you do? You do it. You you go inside. You don't look outside of yourself. You're like, I can do this. I can do this. And sometimes when you're pretty sure you can't do this, what do you want to do? I can do this. I got this. But the whole story of the universe and the whole story of the gospel says one thing. You cannot do it. You can't. You can't. You can't cure yourself. You can't satisfy your deepest longings. You can't change the world. But you can lean on the one who can. Wisdom points us to our need for God. We are insatiably desperate. What does Jesus say? When we look to Jesus, what does he say? He says, you are hungering and thirsting, but the ones of you who are blessed, the ones of you who will find that happiness, that joy, that satisfaction that you seek after, the ones who search after righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. What is righteousness ultimately? What is it? It's about your relationship with God. It's about your standing with God. Righteousness is knowledge and right standing with God. That's it. And all of a sudden you realize the reason that you can't satisfy your desperation is because you were not created to. The reason that learning can't satisfy it is because learning was never meant to be the end, only a means to seeing and savoring God through Jesus. You are desperate. You are in need. You have longing. And I'm telling you, telling you the things that you are seeking after that are not God to fill that longing will never satisfy. For moments they may feel like it, but that satisfaction will fade. It will wear off. That high will come down. It never satisfies. But Christ is enough. All the wisdom in the world can't change your heart. But Jesus promises you new life. This is the cross. If you're in here, and you're not a follower of Jesus, this, this, is, this is the call to you. You are seeking out your life on your own. You're seeking to find yourself in everything, but none of these things can find you, can make you, can change you. What you need is not a new perspective. What you need is not a new religion. What you need is not a new worldview. What you need is to be made new. You don't need to change your behavior. You need a new heart. You don't need to change and increase your knowledge. You need a new mindset that is towards God. And this is the, this is the gift of, of Christ on, on the cross. This is what he says. When he says that you can be born again, that's what he means. You can be made wholly new, completely new. The wisdom of Solomon, the sorrow of Solomon, the depression of Solomon is turned on its head in Jesus. Christian, fighting, fighting Adam, fighting the flesh. The answer is not in yourself. It's in Jesus. See, when you look to yourself, what do you look at? Your sin and your brokenness, right? We reform folks. If you're not reformed, don't worry about it. But we reform folks, man, we have a real problem with this. Right, because we love that total depravity. Total depravity, total depravity. Sometimes we think about total depravity so much, all we're thinking about is our sin. And if you're thinking about your sin, what are you really worshiping and focusing on? Yourself. (laughs) But when you look to Jesus, all of a sudden your eyes aren't inward, they're outward, and he changes you as you follow him. You can't make what is crooked straight, but Jesus can. And he has, and he will. That is the great promise of the gospel. So Christian, one who would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Do you see, do you see, can you see in this moment the joy that comes from knowing Christ, not just knowing, period? Will you follow him? Let's pray.